Hello and welcome. My name is uh, Adam Kellis and I'm uh, the curate here at Christchurch. And um, it was interesting, while we were singing that, that, that kids song just now, I was quite tempted to, to come to the front and to fulfill the actions which Tom was suggesting us to fulfill of how wide is our, our God while standing right next to wee Tom. But, um, <laughs> but then I remembered it's, it's not really fair to, to, to pick on the little guy. <laughs> um, as we come to Micah chapter 7, and as we come to finish this prophet, let us come with humility and prayer. Who is like you, Father God? Who is like you in all the earth? Who would speak a word which lasts an eternity? A word which has created the world? A word which leads us? Who is like you? Who would care for people like us? who are far and who are distant. Who is like you? As we come to your word now, Father God, we come in humility and we ask for your help that you might lead us onwards. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I feel like if there was sort of a word to describe the context which Micah is sort of being written into, that word for me would be darkness. Darkness. And I don't know how you guys have found studying Micah um, in, in a, on a Sunday, but also in our, in our home groups. And there's, there's definitely lots of light, shards of light uh, throughout it, but it's, it's a heavy book. It's a heavy book which speaks about God's judgment. In chapter 1, we were introduced to this idea that, 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 that God's judgment is coming like a wave upon Israel. It's coming like a wave upon Israel, and the northern uh, part of the kingdom is going to be sucked up by the Assyrians. But then as we continue through Micah, we found out in, in Micah chapter 3 that actually there's a second wave coming, the Babylonians. And they will come and they will sweep up everything. And even Jerusalem itself will be left as a pile of rubble. This is a time of darkness. And Micah finds himself a part of this Babylonian band of people who are under God's judgment and are bound to be taken off to Babylon. He find he, this hasn't happened to him yet, but he knows that this is where it is going. And he knows that God is angry. Let's look down at chapter 6, verses 12 to 13, on page 1024. Chapter 6, verse 12. Her rich men are violent, her people are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. God is angry, and the nation is under that weight, under that darkness. And if we were to think about, well, what would Israel be like to live in for Micah at that time? Actually, Israel would have been a horrible place to live in. It is a place we've discovered through this prophet which is filled with economic injustice where the rich use their power to crush the poor. It's, it's a place which is filled with people who are, who are hungry. 
that the very basic needs of these people aren't being met. It's, it's, it's a place where actually the good have gone. They've left. It's a place where you can't even trust your nearest and your dearest. Chapter 7, verse 5. Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with her who lies in your embrace. Be careful of your words. For a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. Imagine what that would have been like to live in that time, under that weight, in that darkness, where you cannot even trust your nearest and your dearest. Yet in this context, what is Micah's reaction? What is his response? Well, chapter 7, verse 7, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. He's, he's not being crushed by the darkness, and neither is he being tempted just to go along with the sins of the people. No, his hope is in the Lord, and he waits for the Lord. But how can you do this? How can anyone, under that sort of context of darkness, that weight, how, how can anyone just wait for the Lord in, under that sort of situ, in that situation? And as we delve now into the rest of chapter 7, I think we're sort of being given survival tips. Survival tips for surviving the darkness. And the first survival tip we're given is an answer. Because these people who live in the darkness, the faithful remnant who is still trusting in the Lord God, these people who are living in the darkness, a question is being asked to them again and again and again. And we see that question is, is written down in uh, verse, verse 10. But the question is, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord your God? Assyria is going to come crushing down like a wave and will knock out the northern kingdom. Where is the Lord your God? Babylon is going to come crushing down like a wave and knock out the southern kingdom. Where is your God? Jerusalem, your holy city, is going to be turned into a place of rubble. Where is your God? Where is your God in the midst of the darkness? In chapter 7, verses uh, 8 to 10, it gives us an answer. See, we read here Micah speaking on, on behalf of, of the people. That yes, they have fallen, but they will rise. Yes, they're dwelling in darkness, but the Lord is their light. Yes, they're under the wrath of God's judgment, but the Lord himself will plead their case. And as we hear these, these words, does Micah know how they're going to be fulfilled? Maybe he just has a glimmer of an idea, but we can sit here knowing the reality knowing that with the coming of Christ, that those who have fallen, the lame, are able to leap. That those who are living in darkness, with the coming of Christ, we have the light of life that has come into the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. With Christ, we meet the one 
who bears the very wrath of God as he dies for us on the cross. Christ is the answer to where is your God in the darkness. Christ is the answer, for he is the light which banishes the darkness, because he is the one who causes the lame to leap, because he is the one who deals with the very wrath of God. And we need an answer. Micah needs an answer. We need an answer. And there's so many different moments in life where we need an answer. When we decide that we want to uh, 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 build an extension onto a house or onto the West Wing, onto the church, well, you need planning permission. And you can come up with your plans, but you've got to write and ask for permission first. And until you have that answer, well, you don't know if it's going to go ahead. But once you have that answer, well, it's not like the hard work of building's done, but once you have that answer, you have the joy of knowing what is to come, of knowing what is to be built, of knowing what is to be created. Micah gives us an answer. But Micah also gives those who are dwelling in darkness hope. Let's look down. Chapter 7, verse, uh, verse 11. The day for, the Lord, for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates, and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because its inhabitants as the result of their deeds. Micah gives those who are dwelling in darkness hope. Yes, that, that, that first wave of Assyria is going to come and take off the northern kingdom. But you will rebuild your walls. Yes, Babylon, that second wave, is going to come and take over the southern kingdom. But you will extend your boundaries. Yes, Jerusalem itself will become a rubble. But this place will be rebuilt. And, and who are the people who are going to dwell within this city, with their extended walls, which is rebuilt? Who are the people who come from mountain to mountain and from shore to shore? Well, it's incredible, because the people who are going to come and fill this city, they're going to come from Assyria. They're going to come from Egypt. The very people who are the historic enemies of, of the Israelites are going to come and be the very subjects of Jerusalem. And we're being given here just this, this image of this upside-down world, how the oppressor will come and be part of this new kingdom, that they will be part of it, they will be subjects within it, and how we rebuilt. And this image of this world which is going to be created, this city which is going to be created, it is glorious. And it gives those who dwell in darkness that image of what to look forward to. And to discover actually this hovel is going to become a home. Actually this mud hut is going to become a palace. Actually these ruins are going to become paradise. Micah gives him hope to the one who dwells in darkness. Micah gives us an answer. Micah gives us hope. And Micah also gives us who dwell in darkness a prayer. The prayer of verses 14 to, to 17. 
And in this prayer, there's sort of three elements to it. The first element uh, is a request. A request, lead us. We see that in in verse 14 there. Shepherd your people with your staff. This is a call of of Michael on the behalf of his people. His cry to the Lord God. Lord God, come. Come and shepherd us. Like leave the 99 and find the one who is lost. Come and protect us from wolves and from thieves. Lead us through that valley of the shadow of death. Take us to pastures new. It is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a prayer with, said from weakness of, to, to one who is strong. And this image of pastures new, well, in the text, it's, it's Bashan on Gilead. And if we were in, in Israelites, we would, Israel, we would know that those are sort of the beauty spots of their day. And that is actually why, what this prayer is requesting. Take me to the, to the beauty spots of our day. And the second part of the prayer uh, it centers around a, a, a promise. It centers around a promise. It's uh, the promise of verse, uh, verse 15. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. So in the midst of this sort of prayer, we have Michael reflecting on this promise of the Lord. In the same way that the Lord has rescued his people from Egypt, and we think about the splendor and the majesty of that rescue of the ten plagues. We think about the sea being parted. We think about the people being led through it. We think about the majesty of that rescue. And here we have Micah relying on that promise. Come and rescue us again in that way. And I don't think this, this is just talking about the return of the Israelites. Even though we know uh, the history of Israel, know the Assyrians come, know the Babylons, Babylons come, and know that the people do return from Babylon, from their exile. But I don't think this is getting at the, the, the return. Because in many ways, the return was quite small and not particularly loud. It was unimpressive people returning to an unimpressive place. But we, from where we stand in history, what we, what we can see that actually something greater than the return has happened something which history has failed to ignore, or cannot ignore, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. The glories and the majesty of God's rescue from Egypt is seen again in the glories and the majesty of Jesus's, God's rescue of us through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. And the resurrection cannot be ignored. Assyria, Babylon, and then Rome, they came and they thought that they owned Israel. That Israel was theirs and they could do with it what they wanted. And yet even mighty Rome could not handle the truth of the resurrection. And yes, it took hundreds of years, but even the emperors who caused the very persecutions of Christians bowed the knee to Christ because they could not deny the reality, the majesty, the splendor and the glory which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this prayer is centered around this promise. Come and show your majesty again. Rescue us again in a way that all the world will see. And the third element of this uh, prayer from verse 16 is a cry for, for justice. A cry for justice. Nations will see and be ashamed. This is verse 16. Deprived of all their power, they will lay their hands on their mouths. 
and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. These nations which have come, the first wave of Assyria, the second wave of the Babylonians, these, these nations who thought that they were so mighty and caused such cruelty, they will meet their maker. They will see the reality of our God. And in seeing them, him, filled with fear because they will know what they did to his people. This is a cry, a prayer for justice. Let your justice be done, Lord, to those who have wronged you and have wronged your people. And this prayer, it is relying on the fact that God is an architect, that plans can be submitted, that hopes can, we can have hopes about what can be built but it is God who will do the building. Because he is the architect and he is the builder. And he's the one who sorts out the planning permission. And he's the one who enables that, who, who literally builds that hovel into a home. And he is the one who will ensure that justice is done. That his people are led. And that those who dwell in darkness are rescued. And that those who dwell in a ruin live in a palace but why do we here in Sidcup literally thousands of years after this prophecy was made why do we need to know all these things about the history of Israel and all these words which are said to these people who are dwelling in darkness because Assyria is not going to come and invade us Babylon's not going to come and invade us and take us off into exile why do we need to know this because we need survival tips. Because we need survival tips. Because Jesus Christ has come in his first coming, but he has now ascended into heaven. And he said that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. But while we live in between the two peaks of his first and second coming, we live in that valley. And we live in the darkness of a world that is fallen and is broken and is filled with sin. We live in this present darkness. And we need survival tips. Because people have a question. The agnostics and the angry atheists, they have a question. Which I don't know about you, but I feel like they love to throw at me. Okay, the Taliban have now just overtaken Afghanistan. And all that has been done and won has been lost. And these people who have suffered so much have to suffer more. Where is your God? Oh, I read in the newspapers that people don't want to attend church anymore. That church in Britain is just in steep decline. Well, where is your God? If he's so strong and so true, why aren't people flocking to him? Or we go through that moment of just individual pain, of, of, of our own mental health struggling, or a physical ailment or weakness. Well, we see that our loved ones going through it. And we lie in bed at night and we think, well, where, where is our God? Where is our God? Micah gives us an answer. 
Where is our God? Well, he has come in Christ. And Christ is the light that will overcome all the darkness. Christ is the one who will cause those lame to leap. Christ is the one who has dealt with the very wrath of God. We, we who claim Christ as ours, know the answer to the question, where is our God? We see him in the face of Christ. We know him in the face of Jesus. Micah gives us an answer and it gives us a hope. It gives us a hope for the future. A hope we can fix our hearts and our minds upon. And in Micah's day, it was on the, the rebuilding of, of Jerusalem. But for us, we don't have to, we don't have to be pro the Israeli government and hide our, hide our minds to all the wickedness which they, they do. Because our hope can be not in a rebuilding of the current physical Jerusalem. Our hope is in the rebuilding of the new Jerusalem and of the new Israel. Our hope is in the rebuilding of that new city, that heavenly city, which Jesus, when he comes again, will bring. That heavenly city where, 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 where there is no darkness because we're with the light. That heavenly city where where tears are but a memory of a world that is faded because pain and sickness and death no longer exist. And we are given this image of this hope, of this new city, of this new Jerusalem. And we're told, fix your eyes on that, because that is where you are going. And Micah gives us a prayer. It gives us a prayer who live in darkness, this current darkness, Father, send your son, give us your son as our shepherd so he may lead us. Father, let him leave the 99 and find that lost sheep. Father, may he protect us from wolves and from thieves. Father, may he take us to pastures which are green. Father, may he lead us through the very valley of the shadow of death. We are given a prayer, a prayer to say to those who dwell in darkness. And we are given these things because we need survival tips. We need survival tips. And in many parts of life, you need help surviving. <laughs> I was recently uh, in Japan visiting my, my older brother who lives out there with, uh, with his family. And uh, I'm entering a very different sort of culture and so I need survival tips. And so I, I buy my Lonely Planet guide and I know that one does not um, uh, pass things through with one's chopstick. So if you, I've got something with my chopstick, I don't give it to someone else and then pick it up with their chopstick. And we don't do this because the passing of bones in funerals is a key part of Japanese funeral rites. And so it's the thing of highest insult is to do that. I need that tip to know that. <laughs> I need tips to know how to survive in that, in, that, in that country and not just cause great offense to the people around me. But that's not a particularly sort of drastic sort of image. A more maybe sort of drastic sort of image that we need tips for survival is is in Britain, just before the Battle of Britain is going to begin, 
actually families need tips how to survive. How do you build an air raid shelter? Where do you build an air raid shelter? Where is this actually going to be safe? People need experts to come in to give them tips to survive the darkness of the Battle of Britain. We all need tips to survive, to keep on going, and to flourish. And so that is why God, who is not alien to our struggle, he sees us and he knows us. He knows what we're going through. He knows that Christ has come and that Christ is coming again. He knows we live in the valley. He knows we live in the present darkness. And so he gives us these tips to survive so that we may flourish, so that we may get to that heavenly city. But as I was pondering on this, I saw a question in my mind sort of like bubbles away. And that question in my mind, and maybe it can be in your mind too, or maybe it is in your mind too, sorry, is, is, is sort of, why does God do this? Like, why, why is God willing to send his son Jesus Christ to be our shepherd, to lead us through the valley of death and to take us to, to pastures new? Why is, is, is God going to, to, to rebuild this new Jerusalem and this heavenly city and we will live in this place without death and darkness. Why, 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 why is it that we who have fallen will, will rise? Why is it that we who are rightly under God's wrath and his judgment that we can, that we can stand there forgiven knowing that, that Christ pleads our case? And, 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 and why would God not just do this on, on one global sense but also do this in a very individual sense? So he calls us as a people, but he calls us as individuals. Why would he, why would he care that much about me? Some lanky little man in, in Sidcup who isn't particularly important or particularly impressive or particularly done anything of, of note or worth. But some man who, 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 whenever I post something onto Instagram or social media, I have to check it 10 times a day to see how many likes I've got. Someone who's so invested in my own, my own thoughts that actually if someone insults me or, or, or says something against me, I don't think to myself first, oh, what have I done to, to wrong them? I think to myself first, what have they done to wrong me? So why does, why does God care? Why does he care about me? Why does God care about you? If his wrath is justice and we were under it, then, then, then that would have been perfectly fair for him. Why does he take us from that and say that he's going to place us in the heavenly city? Why? Let's look down at verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. Why does God care? Because this is who God is. Because this is who God is. And as Micah reflects on this reality, 
that he and his people who are dwelling in darkness will be liberated. As he reflects on this reality, he can only stand there in amazement. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you who would do such a thing? Who would show us such love and such compassion? Who would enable those who have fallen to rise? Those who have sinned to be forgiven? Who would build a new Jerusalem and take us to it? Who would lead us there like a shepherd who leads his sheep? Who would do such a thing except for a God like you? And why does God do it? Because that is who God is. Let's uh, spend a moment just meditating on God's word and then I'll close in prayer. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we praise you for who you are. That you are the Lord who sees your people dwelling in darkness. And who comes as the light of life. Bringing healing on your wings. Bringing restoration and hope. We pray, Father God, for us as we dwell in this particular darkness of waiting for the first coming to the second coming of Christ, of living in a world that is broken with others and our own sin. Father God, please, may we know Christ to be our light. Please, may you install this hope of a new creation in our heads and our hearts so that we may run towards you. Please may your son be our shepherd, leading and guiding us through the very highs and the lows of all that is to come. And we ask these things, Father, not because we are worthy of receiving them, not because we are great or important, but because you are worthy, because you are great, because you are important, and because you are full of mercy and full of grace. So please, merciful Father, grant us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.